0: This week, the first on two pre-election specials as we hear from the major parties and their policies on agriculture, starting with UKIP and the Greens.
1: We can't live if we can't eat. And if food becomes very expensive, then a lot of people can't afford it, so we must have some food security. We must make sure that we have a viable food production industry in this country. So if we get
2: farming right, for example, and the type of food we produce and the healthiness of it, then we get the NHS better sorted because people won't be so unhealthy.
0: Plus, we look ahead to cereals.
2: This year is provide
3: a, a knowledge trail and pick um, sort of some of the really sort of topical issues at, uh, at the moment.
4: The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Ellie Codling.
0: Hello. Yes, it's Ellie Codling guiding you through the programme this week. Hope you're having a good bank holiday weekend so far. Sean Dunderdale's on holiday this week and what amazing weather he's had. I hope he remembered to pack his sun cream for Scarborough Seafront. Now, I just want to start the show with a heartfelt dedication to the people of Manchester and that our thoughts are with all the families affected by the terrible events, including the members of Knotsford's seat in Cheshire and the family of Nell Jones, who sadly lost her life in the attack on Monday. YFC is such a tight-knit community and I know that the Jones family are close in the Federation's thoughts. Okay, So after the events of the last week, electioneering has now resumed and over the next couple of weeks, Sean's chatting with the main parties, seeking your vote on June 8th. He's been putting your agricultural questions to them. He starts this week with UKIP and the Green Party.
4: It's fair to say the UK Independence Party and the Green Party couldn't be further apart, whether on climate change, Brexit and the future direction of British farming. Here's Oliver Dowding of the Greens.
2: We would be looking for a reduction in livestock output and we'd be looking for an overall totally sustainable policy which at the moment agriculture isn't and so we would actually change the emphasis of where where food is produced and what food is produced by whom it would have an impact on people's diets of course because they would be eating less meat but it would be grass raised therefore we'd need to grow less grain have more grassland uh, more woodland and we'd improve the carbon balance overall for the country.
4: It's, it's a huge change, isn't it? Not just for the industry, but also for every individual in, in the country almost to, uh, to make that change. I quite agree with you. It's a massive
2: change. It would be big, probably big for me as well, and it would impact my farm. So that's, that's self-accepted. But the reality is that if we don't make those changes now, when it's, it's still difficult to make, it's going to be even harder when we're actually
1: forced into making them later.
4: So a big change for the Greens. Stuart Agnew of UKIP, as you might expect, has a different point of view.
1: Our agricultural policy is effectively a repatriation of the CAP because we feel that farmers want to stay with something that they know and there's actually not a huge amount of leeway if you want to stay within WTO rules. So you can go down the American countercyclical. Uh, root or you're the Canadian crop price insurance, uh, but the CAP have the single farm payment uh, and um, our farmers are used to it, our civil service has at last got used to uh, administering it and we feel that the simplest line is the best line to take, uh, but we do want to greatly simplify the thing, uh, take away a lot of these greening measures, um, rotational rules, all that, all that sort of thing, uh, make it a lot simpler.
4: One question uh, that was put to us by uh, farmer uh, Andrew Ward, uh, he, he said many farmers, I think you just picked up on there, have felt severely disadvantaged in uh, certainly most CAP uh, negotiations. Um, what would you keep to ensure farmers are able to produce food without constraints, particularly when you think of you know, crop protection, glyphosate, neonics, uh, oh, the ban- right. possible bans yeah. there? Uh,
1: yeah, that's a, you know, a very good point, that one. Uh, as we've all seen in, in just the last few months, this threat to glyphosate a threat to neonicotinoids on non-flowering crops. Uh, we, cert- we just wouldn't entertain this. Um, the, the, these products have been through uh, a very good, rigorous testing process. Uh, we would trust the science. We would want British scientists to, to test the, the, the new products, and science would lead uh, the debate on this, and we would go for a risk-based based assessment and not a hazard-based assessment a big departure from what's happening at the moment. And what is happening at the moment is going to kill EU arable farming. It's as simple as that.
4: Well, many of you asked similar questions relating to glyphosate and neonics. What's the Green Party's view? Oliver Dowdy.
2: Well, farming's faced a number of you know crises in the past and hurdles and bans and things changing. And I, I accept that for a lot of people it, it will be a problem, but I'm, in the same way that science has often come up with other ways of doing things. I'm sure the same thing will happen here. We'll find another way round the situation. And there are people who manage their their farms successfully without the use of Neonix. Glyphosate's a bigger issue because it is a, a, you know, it's a wonderful product for a farmer. I don't disagree with that. I am a farmer. I know how it used to be when I was conventional. And, you know, you can clean up the farm. But it does come with consequent problems, which we're only really starting to learn. And again, it's very hard to, I understand that, it's very hard for a farmer to accept that they're being told what you've done for 30 years is actually causing problems and you're going to have to change, but of course the problems don't always manifest themselves in the beginning as they are now becoming more more clear.
4: Claire Wright of the CLA asked whether post-Brexit does UKIP have a replacement plan in mind for the current grant funding of farm diversification and productivity? Stuart Agnew admitted his party hasn't.
1: We approach from a slightly different way. We want to reduce the regulatory burden on farmers uh, so that they, they can get out and do things. That's, that's our approach. It's a business decision to diversify. But no, we haven't got uh, a pot of money to hand to somebody who says they want to diversify. Because you see, the problem with that is often just go for the grant and then don't deliver the goods. This, these diversification schemes should really be able to stand up on their own two feet. We subsidise farmers because we have to have food and we don't want to lose farmers after a couple of bad years. That's the rationale for subsidising agriculture. But when you're starting to subsidise diversifications, well, why not any business?
4: John Smith of Louth's Tractors wanted this question putting, with Oliver Dowding of the Greens giving the answer. Farming is the engine room of the rural economy. How do you plan to retain its profitability?
2: It's a question of how well managed the change is, but I don't disagree with your, your observation that we are agriculture's primary industry, as I said. We are the engine room of the local economy, and for every agricultural job there are at least five and probably more that are accounted for in the connected industry, so be that tourism for which people want to see a green and pleasant land, uh, the food processing industries and so on. So we are the engine room, and unless it's healthy and directed in the right direction, then it's always going to have problems, so we, we want it to be positively managed.
4: Another question from Andrew Ward raised an interesting conundrum for the parties, asking where food and farming would fit into the following list of priorities: obviously food and farming, but also the NHS, education, manufacturing, tourism, and climate change. Here's Stuart from UKIP.
1: Oh, that's got to be that's got to be close to the top. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> it's difficult to, because somebody will say, "Well, I'm permanently disabled," and and. Uh, you can get petty about this. We can't live if we can't eat. And if food becomes very expensive, then a lot of people can't afford it. So we must have some food security. We must make sure that we have a viable food production industry in this country. You mentioned the climate change thing. That comes right at the very, very bottom. Shouldn't even be on the list. I'm one of those.
4: No surprises for Oliver of the Green Party, a totally opposite answer to the same question. Um,
2: straight underneath climate change and it would be working in concert with trying to resolve that problem. Uh, that's not to say that any of the other issues you mention, and they're all huge in their own right and all need a massive amount of effort, but it's our, as I said before, it's our primary industry and if we don't look after our primary industry, there's six inches of topsoil that covers the entire Earth. If we don't look after that, then all those other things won't happen. So if we get farming right, for example, and the type of food we produce and the health, healthiness of it, then we get the NHS better sorted because people won't be so unhealthy. We get the right building blocks in place. Everything else fall, falls on top of it. You know, after we've got those building blocks, everything can be built on top of it.
4: Is it fair to say some of our listeners listening may be concerned if they hear the Green Party policy that it's going to put farmers out of business? It's going to close some farms down, isn't it?
2: I don't disagree that there might be some businesses that would uh, fi- have to change significantly, um, but I think you'll find that all the policies that we've had for the last 30 years under different, different colour governments have put farmers out of business. So it's about change and evolution, and I, and I don't wish to see any farm, farm business put under undue pressure. They're under enough now, but some of them it's financial, some of it's through uh, the weather. It, things are going to change. Nothing's a constant, nothing's static. But we, but are carrying on as we are now, as I say. you know, trying to uh, use three planets when actually we can only afford one, we we have to change, and it's a, it's, an, it's a harsh reality basically.
4: Final question for both men: Why does their party deserve your vote on June the eighth? First, UKIP.
1: Because we are offering a proper post-Brexit farming policy. Uh, we are very worried that there isn't going to be a proper Brexit, that Theresa May, although she's strutting the country saying what she's going to do, her record actually is very bad. Uh, we believe she's softening the country up for a very soft partial Brexit, which, which could lumber us with a lot of... We could, could end up with the worst of all worlds uh, tied into a lot of EU le- legislation just to get access to a market, um, which we feel we, we have a much stronger position on because we import so much more in terms of fruit and wine. Uh, They need our custom. We we feel we're going to be sold down the river. It's UKIP that's got things this far, and we should be trusted to be able to take them to the proper conclusion and not a sort of silly half-half measure that leaves us all in a very unsatisfactory state.
4: And now, why vote for the Green Party?
1: Because we represent a a
2: fairer society, one where we will more equitably share the resources that are available to all. We won't allow the excesses that we see at the very extremes and we want to make sure that everybody has a fair share within what is a a human society we've got to act in a human way.
0: Oliver Dowding of the Green Party and before him Stuart Agnew of UKIP speaking with Sean Dunderdale on the election trail. Next week we'll hear from the main parties battling for your votes in the general election. I'm Ellie Codling with your week in farming for this week and our usual experts are here as ever, starting with Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services.
5: Yes, good morning Ellie it's uh, absolutely beautiful morning here, it's Friday morning, it's 7 o'clock I'm on the top of the Lincolnshire Wolds and it's already 21 degrees Celsius and what a difference a week makes. This time last week we were talking about how we'd have the first rain for about four weeks, how it was pulling these crops back from the brink and how much good it would do. We had 50 mill give or take 20 mil either side of that across the county and it really has done an awful lot of good i'm actually sat next to a field of spring barley that this time last week was flat to the floor and looking horrible and yellow it is now halfway up my shins at growth stage 31 Um, absolutely romping away. But of course, what's coming with the barley is the weeds. Um, Not only broadleaf weeds, which are flushing with apparent impunity out there, but also the grass weeds. The spring wild oats are coming, the rye grasses are coming and the black grass is coming. Now, the black grass isn't as bad as I expected it to be, so hopefully the drought has done quite a lot of damage to that, um, but wild oats, ryegrass, you probably need to consider dealing with those. Now, here's the thing, Pinoxiden or Axial doesn't have black grass on the label. It isn't any good on resistant blackgrass. So if you're thinking you're going to go out and you're going to spend fifty or sixty quid a hectare on something which we know isn't going to do any good, you have to question whether it's wise to spend that money. It'll certainly do a good job of the wild oats and it'll certainly do a good job of the ryegrass. You'll need a minimum of 0.45 litres to go on um, and get ryegrass, of course. But l- check your rates and don't be misled into thinking if you spray a field of spring barley that's full of resistant blackgrass with it's it's gonna kill it because the chances are it ain't. You might be better to save your money, get the mower out, and mow out the worst patches, or just make a note of where they are so that any seed returned, you can adjust your following crop accordingly to put something in which is capable. We have the chemicals capable of dealing with blackgrass. But certainly be very, very wary of spending a lot of money that isn't going to give you a return. I can't see there's any point in doing that. So spring barley 31, we're on with T1s widely now. They're growing very, very quickly, so please check your growth stages and make sure you're okay for any growth regulators you're going to put on because what we're seeing is they're rushing through the growth stages we're going to see them quite short there won't be an awful lot of straw I don't think because some of them are already pushing into ear and they've they've uh, skipped through growth stages over the last seven days um, they're up to my knees and the awns are coming out quite widely disease levels very very low uh, but just remember you need to protect you're trying to predict what's going to happen in the next four weeks when it comes to a a fungicide on spring barley and because we only put a couple of fungicides on in the season you might as well do the job properly um sugar beet again we said last week we would see flushes of weeds and we would see another generation of emergence when it comes to sugar beet we've seen that um and the weather's been all wrong for spraying anything really in the last seven days high winds and high temperatures you don't want to be going into sugar beet in temperatures above 21 degrees Celsius not just from a crop damage point of view but because the herbicides you're putting on don't work in those temperatures so you're far better to be on first thing in the morning or very last thing at night but bearing in mind it's not getting much below 22 before about 10 o'clock at night, you probably want to be first thing in the morning Um, not quite so important to have a dry leaf in sugar beet because a lot of the weeds, a lot of the chemicals we're putting on and a lot of the weeds are hairy the chemicals are residual and they're root uptake so just pick your time but for goodness sake don't go out in the heat of the day particularly with additional wetters and complicated mixes because that's when you start to see crop damage and make sure you wash out between crops because again that's where you're going to see crop damage, particularly flitting from sulfonylureas in cereals over to sugar beet. Um, and then potatoes coming through as well. We've had our first blight periods, as we said last week, so we're on with blight sprays now on the forward crops. There's quite a few aphids about, um, not just in potatoes, but in winter cereals as well. We're putting flag leaf sprays on there. They're going on at a pace, nearly done. I'm thankful my flag leaf sprays are virtually finished now. Um, there are aphids in these crops, but there are also absolutely hundreds and hundreds of ladybirds not just in winter wheat in spring barley they're in sugar beet they're in beans they're in peas all over the place and if you bear in mind that um, one ladybird will eat between 120 and 150 aphids a day they're actually doing a pretty good job for us at the moment and because the aphid threat is worse in winter cereals when the ear is fully emerged you know perhaps bide your time and see where we look uh, in a couple of weeks time when it comes to the ear wash Um, also while we're talking about aphids Peas and beans, this brooked beetle, are starting to appear now. We thought they would because the temperatures have been right. You get a couple of days over 20 degrees, they start to migrate. Their threat is greatest in spring beans when the first pods begin to be set or in winter beans indeed as well. Um, Winter beans in full flower now, pods being set, spring beans just starting to show those first flowers. So not crucial that you're in in the next seven days or so, but just monitor that one, get some sticky traps out and see if you can uh, make sure there's a target there before you go spraying. And also the black aphids, you find little colonies of those on peas and beans already, but disease levels very low, disease pressure pretty low because it's warm, But once that programme starts, get the flowers out. That's what you need to start thinking about protecting because every flower is a pod when it comes to peas and beans. So apart from that, it's lovely weather. It's a very good forecast. This is what it's all about. And uh, things are most definitely moving at a pace. Roll on next week.
0: Thank you, Sean. On to the grain markets then. Another busy week. Here's Henry Young with the weekly update from Open Field. Good morning.
6: Well, what a difference we can make. Last week, we saw an awful lot of rain. uh, And then this week, well, the sun came. Uh, I think it's helped an awful lot of crops, both around the county and around the country. So just having a bit of a look at those markets at the moment. At the moment, there doesn't really seem to be much price movement. We need to see either the key producers drop yields or for something really serious to happen. At the moment, a lot of people are just gambling with Mother Nature. And no one really knows what's, what's being held on the other side of the table. So time will tell on this one. The early harvesting countries at the moment, well, there's no real good news coming from these countries, really. Uh, At the moment, they're currently maintaining their predicted crop numbers. Some are actually increasing them, which is having an impact on the market. Stocks coming out of of last year were low. So some countries have imposed um, some serious import taxes, including India, which we spoke about a few weeks ago. Uh, Trade reports at the moment are actually seeing that India is going to have to import nearly 4 million tonnes of wheat. Again, it all depends on the price, also what kind of quality they're going to be after and also what the domestic use is going to be we have seen egypt change uh, its protocol on imported wheat they're actually in- increasing the protein level this is going to have an impact on the exporters a bit like france who will, who may well struggle to get up to this protein level because they've now increased it up to 12 originally they are on 11.5 protein that will have an impact but also have an impact on quite how egypt is then going to uh, mill the wheat and what they're going to do with it just having a look at the european crops at the moment. Old crop, there just isn't the interest. There's a few small cargoes at the moment coming from France into the UK to kind of add a bit more wheat into the into the ever-growing carryout that we're likely to have. Coming weeks, there is going to be some more fireworks. The consumers are trying to um, see what kind of they're going to need old crop-wise, or are they just going to hold off for that new crop? There is a bit of a price reduction between the old and new crop as it standardly is. All markets can be watching the weather though to see how it progresses through the growth stages and into harvest. If it dries out again it may just get a bit more interesting. The UK, exports have almost dried up. It's been very, very quiet an export year this year. Since December, they've struggled to reach 85,000 tonnes a month. Uh, Well, imports have reached 150,000 tonnes a month. UK ports have been quiet. Uh, The main kind of shipping at the moment has just been locally around the coast. So having a look at the new crop, the S&D figures, they're not largely discussed at the moment. There's some concerns, obviously, with those dry spells. The rain has given people a little bit of comfort, but the rain has also brought some disease around. So make sure you're out there looking at those crops, seeing what impact they're going to have. Um, And also the interesting thing going forward is going to be what varieties are then going to be cut as well. Obviously there was a big swing into group one and group two variety, but is the quality going to be there? And Are people going to be putting on the, the late nitrogen to be able to get the proteins up there as well? So having a look at those prices... June is currently 143 to 144. Harvest 132 to 135. November 136 to 138. And May 140 to 141. Just having a quick look at the barley market. I know quite a lot of people are worried about the spring barleys. Obviously they're struggling they were struggling to come through with that very, very dry period. Now with the rain, there's quite a lot looking better. Uh, the winters are certainly looking uh, looking good around the county. The area plants within the UK also re- remains unknown. Seed sales were obviously good, but whether or not it's come through is a different a different kind of plan. Uh, the recent dry weather, as I said, is putting some of those lighter lands under pressure. The old crop balance sheet is relatively tidy with domestic uses of distilleries running at what kind of what they need. So if you've still got bits and pieces, worth having a look at it. So having a look at those prices... June, 122 to 123. Harvest, 17, 108 to 111. November, 119. May, 120 to 122. So you can see that carry in the market, depending how quite how long you want to hold it. The all rate market, the global soy crop is estimated to be 344 million tonnes. Few million tonnes less than predicted last year. Consumption is going to be increased. So the end stocks will be very similar to what they were last year. The world seems to have a huge require for soya, with China leading the way, closely followed by the EU. The desire for the consumers coming forward within the EU seems to be uh, struggling to cover the current increase in the so- uh, in the seed rate demand. We have seen those oilseed rate boats coming to Liverpool; those boats have now gone. So we'll see uh, what happens with those market with them coming back into the market. So having a look at those prices: June three hundred twenty-two, harvest two hundred ninety-three, and November three hundred four. Just a quick update on the bean market. The bean market has been very quiet, with feed continuing to firm, with shorts asked uh, for offers and the trade thin with little old crop coming forward. New crop is also thin. Trade uh, with growers waiting to see how the crops develop with that dry period in the recent rain. If anyone's got old crop out there, it's worth having some conversations about. Currently, you be getting about £180x. New crop, 155 x basis November.
0: Thank you. Henry Young of Open Field. Here we are then, the bank holiday weekend, signalling the end of May, and that means June is just around the corner, and with it, the annual cereals event. So it's back in Lincolnshire this year at Boothby Graffo, and John Day is the organiser.
3: They can, well, we've got a lot uh, on offer for uh, farmers this year, with more technology, um, practical knowledge than ever before. Um, and there's a real focus on adding value to um, farmers' business, and helping them improve productivity and profitability and we're doing this through a range of uh, new features Um, so we have the the soil pit, uh, we have uh, a new drone zone, a new specialist crop zone, a new uh, fields of the future area and we have nearly a hundred new products being launched at the show um, from sprayers to drills uh, to uh, new varieties.
0: Oh, Okay, lots going on then as normal. And what is featuring in the debates this year if people are going to go?
3: Well, it will be no um, surprise that Brexit mm. <laughs> yep. is going to be top uh, uh, top of the list. And um, last, uh, uh, obviously, this year it will come just after um, a, a general election, obviously with Article Fifty sort of being triggered. Then you know there's going to be I think it'll be a very uh, lively uh, debate within the, uh, the Oval Conference and um, in addition um, the Oxford Farming Conference um, have, will have a very um, sort of lively debate on the hot topic of whether pre-harvest uh, use of glyphosate should be banned. Um, so there'll be some real um, lively debate uh, going on as well at cereals.
0: Okay, great. And so um, as you're well versed on everything that will be happening, have you any tips for visitors to get the most out of their day?
3: Um, y- yes, I mean, we have always being told there's so much to see at cereals. So um, one of the things we've done uh, this year is provide a, a knowledge trail and pick um, sort of some of the really sort of topical issues at, uh, at the moment. Um, and if you go either onto our website or in the, the show guide, um, but also at the entrances, there'll be some leaflets um, people will be able to pick up, which will, re- which will highlight um, those um, exhibitors. So, if you, if you want to, for example, um, look at how to manage black grass, then um, there'll be a list of sort of exhibitors that will be highlighted um, that, that uh, the farmers can go and speak to for get some sort of uh, specialist
0: knowledge. That's John Day, Event Director at Cereals, taking place on the 14th and 15th of June. And we'll be there, as you come to expect, with highlights from the event the following weekend. So it is the 1st of June this week. Will it be flaming June's, as the saying goes? Let's take a look at the weather with Eddie Shaw.
7: Good morning, Ellie. Well, after hot weather over the last few days, we'll continue to see a breakdown today with some sunny spells at first, becoming cloudy later, the chance of some heavy showers and even occasional thunderstorms at times. The breeze from the southwest. Light and variable with top temperature at 21 degrees. Tonight, cloudy with further rain at times and a low down to 14 degrees, so still quite warm. Monday will be mainly cloudy with a few bright spells and the chance of occasional heavy showers with the possibility of a few rumbles of thunder. It'll feel cooler than the last few days, especially Thursday and Friday of last week, and a high of around 18 degrees. Tuesday will be a much drier day with some sunny spells, although the southwesterly breeze may increase later to around twenty miles an hour. We've got a top temperature of eighteen Celsius. Wednesday we'll see sunshine at times, but a little bit more in the way of cloud than Tuesday. Temperatures will be slightly up to at around 19 degrees. And then on Thursday, we'll see quite a bit of cloud around, occasional bright or sunny spells, slightly warmer too. And towards the end of the week, there is an increasing risk of further rain at times.
0: That's the forecast, and that's it for another farming programme this week. Thank you for your company. Next week, more on the campaign trail, as we'll hopefully be hearing from the Conservatives, Labour and the Liberal Democrats, as they'll be answering your questions on their agricultural policy. That's next week with Sean, and until then, as he always says, have a good week's farming.